what up what up folks what's going on welcome to episode 55 of the spun today podcast i'm your host tony ortiz thank you very much for listening you're probably in for a shorter episode this week and here's what i got for you in this episode i speak about the finale of an hbo miniseries the night of getting to see the prophets of rage in concert and the new tough season as well as a message to the new ufc owners from me because of course they listen to this podcast all right so let's start at the top the night of finale first and foremost i thought it was great uh an awesome finale i know there's uh like polarizing views on it some people loved it some people hated it i haven't uh, heard or read about uh, too many like in betweens and i'm one of the the people that loved it uh first and foremost i feel like it was more uh realistic and the people i feel the consensus that i get from the people that didn't like the ending i think we're looking for like a definitive did he do it did he not do it type of answer um and that's not what the show in my opinion was about it was more so about the justice system and how uh fucked up it could be and uh this show did an awesome job of it it laid out the spectrum of people involved in all the different facets of it whether it's on uh, the legal end, uh, meaning like lawyers or <clears throat> the, uh, law enforcement end, uh, with the cops and detectives and, uh, the people end of it, you know, victims and witnesses and, and just regular citizens and how all that meshes together to formulate the system that, that we currently, currently have. And, you know, it exposes, certain uh negative aspects of it and i think the show did an amazing job of that and there's a few uh, key scenes for me that that uh that resonated which first and foremost it's towards the end uh towards when Nas gets out and he's sitting with jack stone john stone at the like a local cafe uh type of thing and his best friend walks in or his ex-best friend uh, that he used to sell the, the, uh, Adderall's to, and that uh, was called as a witness and, you know, uh, pretty much, uh, said everything that, you know, he was, that he used to sell him pills all the time and stuff like that. And obviously that relationship was strained. Nas kind of looked at him like with a disappointed, uh, you're a rat kind of look. And, um, anyway, in the final scene, but the, the friend at the same time was kind of like, yo, you a fucking asshole. You, you got these pills virtually for free and used to sell them to me for 10 bucks a pop. Um, and pretty much they see each other there and uh, they make eye contact. Then the friend leaves. They don't say anything to each other. But it's kind of like understood, like things aren't the same anymore. Shit isn't sweet between the both of them and uh you know going our separate ways type of thing and uh jack stone tells him or john stone i don't know some places call him jack and some places call him john and i've seen them literally as john slash jack stone i don't get that 
Um, uh, Jon Snow tells him a a uh, line that resonated with me that you know goes well into the story and and uh, j- just I think in like life in general, but definitely plays into the story and uh, into Naz's role. And he told them, I'm going to paraphrase, something to the effect of, everyone's got a cross to bear. Nas, fuck them all. Live your life. And he told Nas this after, after you know, him saying that, you know, everybody still looks at him like he's a murderer. And like he did these horrible things that he was accused of. And that life is different now, uh, which it is. Uh, but he tells him those words for you know, what it's worth. And, um, that's, that's another, another aspect of the show that, that resonated with me is the fact that it showed how, you know, this, if you choose to believe the fact that he really didn't do it, um, that he really did black out, somebody else came in and killed a girl and he didn't do it while he was, you know, blacked out and that, that, um, like in a violent rage or something like that, which doesn't seem like because he didn't have blood on him or anything like that, but, whatever, if you choose to believe that he did not do it, then you're looking at a victim in Nas that was dropped into a system, um, you know, taken to Rikers, went through uh, the prison system, and he was adaptable. He did what he had to do to survive, as uh, Jack Stone eloquently put in his closing statement, which was dope. And he came out alive on the other side, but uh, a crackhead, basically, you know, um, assisting in fucking murders and shit in prison and just saw like this dark, dark life that he started, uh, taking part in. And, uh, it's kind of like seamlessly, you know, with violence and, and, and drug trafficking even, and on the whole gamut of, of fucked up shit that, that people can get into within the system. And he, you know, he was a, a straight A type nerdy student, good kid family family uh kid uh about his business you know in terms of like school and having an after school job and uh to put himself through school and and stuff like that um and you know you change this one thing you know put him in a different environment and he kind of assimilates to it and um after the fact it shows uh just how his family's completely torn apart his relationship with his younger brother you can see, like, before they used to, like, joke around and talk about sports and, and around the dinner table and stuff like that. And then they literally didn't say, like, a peep to each other afterwards, after Nas was home. Uh, the mother was a loving, kind of, like, overbearing type of mom. They didn't want him to go to a quote-unquote black party. Um, and, uh, you know, it was very conservative, apparently. And felt that she, her son did it she always she kind of like doubted the fact that did he do it did he not do it and she was leaning towards him uh being the one that did it and that's a strain that will probably uh it was probably irreparable uh between the mother and son then uh, his relationship with his father uh seems like you know his father was the one that has always been there for him kind of like um never believed in any of it and you know whether right or wrong uh was there for the son uh throughout and that relationship doesn't seem as as 
on the surface level doesn't seem um like fucked up in terms of their personal relationship but at the same time you know the father uh lost everything um uh lost his his uh, cab that he was sharing with the other three guys because of the situation and um you know it, the family went through fucking hell and you know all all you know in the neighborhood he seemed to be the father like a respected person in the neighborhood and now the neighborhood kind of like turned his back on him and you know saying that they're giving a bad name to muslims and you know he pretty much got lumped into the situation with the son you know while you know sticking up for him and stuff like that which is sad uh what else what else i thought it was a dope show man i really did if you guys haven't seen it you should definitely check it out and it was super well done uh you know like a dark show excellent excellent writing and uh the creators of it did a dope job and i they technically left it open for season two in my opinion you know me being like a shit novice writer i could write a uh another like show or two i don't know about eight but i could write another like show or two just based on like the loose ends that they, they left um just in and of itself the doubt of of you know who actually killed her it seems like it was that financial um uh financial analyst guy that that andrea had uh but it it you know they didn't technically fully show that um so they left it open to that they uh the da that finally made the right choice and not you know pushing forward um and not having that tunnel vision went to uh, box detective box and they spoke about and you know she said let's get the son of a bitch so uh, they kind of left that open you know they could do the little bonnie and clyde type of thing and and go vigilante style and try to get this dude um one thing that i want to say about the the actual well a couple things about the actual uh court case is the there was a point where like the d8 when when uh the chick uh defense attorney what's her name chandra i think decided to put nas on the bench i feel she did it out of out of you know inexperience as uh john satoro told her and uh but also out of like this overzealous kind of ambitious uh feeling that she had like i'm gonna do something so unorthodox it's it's gonna work and you know like i'm gonna come out the other side you know looking like i pulled a dope court move or something like that uh that kind of backfired on her maybe um but uh, there was a point where the DA cross-examined Nas and she just torn to bits and pretty much broke down everything that that Chandra like built up and everything that was playing in their favor however there the very last part where she asked Nas straight up did you kill her and Nas said I don't know I don't think like I've seen videos like reviews uh, of the final episode and stuff like that on youtube and people were like that that was like the damning moment that you know Nas, you know put a nail in his own coffin type of thing i think the exact opposite you know i'm a fucking contrarian i guess but i think that him saying i don't know played 
into his defense in a like a positive way. And I'll tell you why. Because he, like from, I guess like in a, an objective, not objective, but yeah, I guess like an objective point of view looking at the case, like his whole thing is that, you know, for the, that block of time when the murder happened, he doesn't remember anything because he was blacked out on the drugs and stuff like that. If that were true, and I was a juror, uh, juror, and, you know, believing that narrative, then him giving a definitive answer, either yes or no, would make me question him altogether. So he had to technically say that he didn't know because he couldn't know. Um, and that's why I don't think it was that damning. And also a tell from the DA's standpoint is that right after that, she said no further questions and it wasn't in a you know drop the mic kind of way um like i got you you know type of way it was more of the way that she didn't want to ask questions to Dwayne reed for example because he used to you know he's been caught with knives and attempted murder charges and stuff like that knives that he stole from the crime scene and in this crime there was an altercation with the person he um and there was also like a missing murder weapon knife and it fit his mo basically um so with things like that and with the stepfather she chose not to speak to him and chandra was like asking john Turturro, like why didn't she want to speak to him and he pretty much told her because they wouldn't play into her uh narrative they wouldn't it wouldn't be good for her if she did that's why she didn't want to like speak to them and cross-examine them and for that same reason i feel that she stopped once not said i don't know she stopped um with the questions and stuff like that in my opinion and lastly the fact that there was a hung jury came from two things in my opinion uh chandra did a surprisingly good job in raising doubt because there was doubt you know there was at least two people that if i was a juror there i'd be like yeah he could have done it and he could have done it and there was like three people you know based on some of the things that that she brought up and it could have been us, but in my opinion, that's doubt. My job is to say, is there doubt or is there not doubt? And if there is, I can't vote yes. Um, that was one. And John Turturro's uh, closing uh, uh, statement was was dope. That like he like rose to the occasion, so it's like great for his character. Like in terms of like his character arc, he rose to the occasion, the pinnacle of what he saw as like a credible attorney and he skilled it and did an awesome job so that was like a a great thing for him and also played into the fact that the jury was hung at the end 6-6 spoiler alert by the way if you guys hadn't seen it and that's pretty much it that's all I gotta say about that the next thing is the Prophets of Rage concert that I saw with my brother last week last weekend two weeks ago on Saturday when they were at the Barclays. Um, not a week ago, I think. Yeah. At the Barclays. My brother took me. And uh, thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. Had a really good time. And we saw... For those of you that don't know, Prophets of Rage are a combination of Rage Against the Machine and uh, Be Real from Cypress Hill and Chuck D from uh, Public Enemy. And it was it's like they're they came together pretty much to uh promote awareness uh political awareness 
that was their, if I'm not mistaken, like Rage Against the Machines, like MO, um, uh, political awareness for like the current election cycle. And they've been doing rallies at, at, they went to the RNC and the DNC and had like rallies and, and played in those uh, cities and they've been touring across the country. And uh, it's pretty much the whole, you know, Rage Against the Machine concept uh the machine being you know the oppressive government and and crony capitalism and stuff like that and just uh speaking out against it and you know trying to uh spark the type of inspiration that could cause change and it's something very admirable and dope and i really like that concept of what they're doing and all that aside, it was just like a really dope experience. It was fun as shit uh, to be a part of. My brother got us some really great tickets. We were like four rows from the stage. And we had a view, like a direct view of the mosh pit. We were like on the right-hand side of the mosh pit, which I had never seen. I'd never been to a rock concert before. Um, and also like Rage Against the Machine, Public Enemy, uh, Cyber Sill, they were all slightly out of like my not my age range music doesn't really have an age range but i wasn't into that type of music or them specifically any of them when i knew of them and like i like kind of like a song here and there um but i was never like into them into them you know and i was like a little little too young i think um but then you know it was like rage against the machine was one of my brother's favorite bands or my brother's favorite band and he was like super into them which was cool to see and um you know he was like telling me more of like what they were about he had sent me articles and i saw a bunch of videos and stuff like that and it was totally something that i would have been into like rage against the machine um had i been more aware of them at the time and uh, it was just cool to see to experience that and um it's most of them from the original rage against the machine minus obviously be real from which was from cypress hill and uh public enemy um had a uh, public enemy DJ, DJ Lord, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, Chuck D from EPMD, but the uh, uh, EPMD uh, from Public Enemy, and the original like headman um, of the band is not with Rage Against the Machine since like 2000 or something like that. My brother told me, um, but it was such a like dope experience. The energy was sick uh like seeing the mosh pit and stuff like that was was crazy like they really do do like the whole crowd surfing thing and stuff like that and just jump around like crazy fucking um wild white boys and girls <laughs> and not just white but mostly um and it was cool it was really cool to see and the music was great my favorite part of everything was tom morello which is my brother was telling me he was like one of the best guitars of our generation type of thing and I looked it up in 2010, Rolling Stone, out of the top, and this was in 2010, maybe it's higher now on the list, or maybe it's lower, I don't know. But he, in uh, 2010, Rolling Stone uh, did a list of top 100 guitarists of all time. He was number 26, which is sick. That's so, so dope. Um, and he did like a bunch of like guitar solos, which I thought were great. I think I like put on Instagram a couple of them or, or tweeted them out. And uh, I want to do like a little like montage of them. I have like five, six, or seven that actually came out good on the phone. 
and i'll put those up maybe like on the on the youtube page or something and it was it was dope to see that was definitely my favorite part of the entire the concert um the music part and um uh, it was really cool to see it was a really great experience and, and i appreciate it uh be real did uh insane in the membrane insane in the brain and um he while he was doing that like he jumped into the crowd he started crowd surfing which was sick um and that was pretty cool and, and the cherry on top of everything was after the concert after it's winding down because mind you we're like four rows from the stage on the right hand side and the last row the last seat like to the right um so when i look down you see like the the uh mixing board and and like secu- a couple security people and like family we saw like um um this dude from ep uh from public enemy uh like his my brother was like yo those that has to be like his family because they look like just like i'm like a, a couple dudes look like his brothers or something um and they did look just like him um so like they were like standing right there so then after the concert you know the lights are on and i looked to the right and fucking the dude in front of us was very uh like super fanboy and just like enjoying the shit he i think he had the best time in the whole place out of everybody just enjoying everything and then i I see him like leaning over the the railing like speaking to someone and then i I look again i do like a double take and it's juliette lewis and then i had recently seen her on the uh michael rapaport documentary um which is you guys can check it out i'll probably link to it in the episode notes you can check it out on uh redbull.tv uh and it's called wild loving woman is it that or loving wild woman Some, something like that but it's juliette lewis which uh she's an actress uh, for those of you that don't know just google her name and you'll you'll know her just by seeing her um and she is also the documentary is based on a rock band that she has called julia and the licks and she's had this band for like 10 to 12 years or something like that and she's she tours the country and she gets like mad respect within like the rock community like the dude from i always forget his name but he was in nirvana and uh, started the foo fighters the drummer guy he uh he's in the documentary and like they all show her love and she's she's very expressive very passionate very powerful and then like i was like i told her that i saw the documentary and it was cool and she like waved and um that was pretty cool i don't even know if she understood what the hell i said after a couple beers but uh she was you know nice and she posed for a picture took a picture and it was cool it was definitely a dope experience and if you guys have a chance to to see profits of rage i definitely recommend it was a dope concert and uh again it was my first rock concert and uh i enjoyed it i enjoyed the experience now the last thing i want to speak about regarding the ufc is the new tough show uh tough is the ultimate fighter um which has been has been i don't know like a hasn't been a pull for me lately uh the last few seasons i haven't watched uh, i haven't watched in a while maybe by a few seasons i mean like three four five six seasons I don't even know how many I haven't seen, let alone all the, like, the break-off ones, like, they have Tough Brazil, Tough Latin America, like, stuff like that, but the Tough, Tough one, um, I haven't seen in a minute, but I started watching this last season, uh, because I like the way they, like, I don't know if it's, like, revamped, but this one has, like, a different twist to it, 
pretty much Demetrius uh, Mighty Mouse Johnson is one of the pound for pound best fighters ever. Um, like he's defended his title, I think eight or nine times already, and he's gone through the entire his entire division. It's like the flyweight division, if I'm not mistaken, or featherweight division. He's like 125 pounds. Um, he's gone through the entire division, like wiped them out clean, like to the point that they're like, you know, maybe you should do a super fight, like go up, go up uh, uh, to another weight class or something like that, because there's literally nobody else. So what they did for this season of tough, instead of just getting new you know, new up and coming guys, they recruited featherweight champions, like the same weight class champions in all other, uh, like fighting leagues. Cause there's like a lot of, you know, regional like UFCs, you know what I mean? Like they're not part of UFC. Obviously they're like their own thing, but you know, that they don't get really televised and they are licensed, like sanctioned, you know, professional fights but just not the big stage, which is UFC. So you have like Bellator, which is more known like there on Spike, um, 1FC, which is another league that's a little bit less known, but you know, they get like TV airtime and like stuff like that. But then you have like a shitload of these regional little divisions that, you know, take place in, in like, I don't know, school gyms or something. You know what I mean? Like I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it's like stuff that maybe your cousin will go see you fight type of thing. Uh, but they're professional, legit professional organizations. Like some of them have, some fighters from those organizations have gone to the UFC. I think there's one that in particular, I forget which one it is, but that has sent like three or four fighters to the UFC. Um, but anyway, what they did was go through all these different uh, divisions and get like the best 125 pounders that are champions. Uh, like they literally have a belt in those uh, organizations and those guys are the ones that they put into the show uh into the tough show which for those of you that don't know it's like a show where they normally put i think it's like 16 guys together to live in a house you know like real world style type shit one of them trains with one one fighter um from the ufc like as their coach and the other one with another fighter as their coach and they do it uh like elimination style they match them up they fight and as the show progresses, you know, if you lose, you're off the show. And if you win, last man standing pretty much at the end of the show gets a UFC contract and into the UFC. So in this case, they did it literally all champions just for the purpose of having someone, um, you know, quote, worthy enough to fight Demetrius Johnson. And that's uh, pretty cool. Oh, and also they, the coaches of the two teams, they also fight each other on like a pay-per-view that comes up so it's cool to see like the banter between them sometimes they get along usually they don't talk shit to each other and it's pretty cool uh interesting dynamic but um i thought that was a an awesome job an awesome like idea uh, to kind of like revamp the show because there's a lot of people that fell off from watching it including myself uh, for the past few seasons and this gimmick if you want to call it that uh definitely got me back into checking it out i also like which i feel is kind of like a like a hand of the new owners that it has like a polished kind of um sports sportsy kind of look to it uh in that they made it into like a bracket uh like a ncaa you know uh march madness type bracket where even if you're on the same team which wouldn't happen before um you could fight you know in the first round uh, against each other depending on who i mean in the second round depending on who from within your bracket advances kind of thing before it was like everyone from one team would fight everyone from the other team until you know there's nobody 
else on let's say if there's nobody else on one team to fight then you would have to fight the members of your own team to have that last person standing but now they just did a bracket style so sometimes you could go against uh, someone from your own team sometimes that you normally train with or some or sometimes you know against somebody from the other team now what i don't like and this is my message to the ufc new owners what i don't like is this shit that i've been seeing sometimes but not always which that i see it on fox definitely all the time like they don't curse they beep out curses and like stuff like that and it's fox so you kind of sort of get it but at the same time it's kind of like come on just fucking stop already um with the censoring bullshit but like the youtube uh post-fight press conferences and stuff like that stop bleeping shit out we any anybody and everybody that watches ufc like you've literally finished seeing somebody get their head pummeled in and you know if they say fuck or something like that nobody's gonna have a fucking titty attack and anybody who does referring to the sponsors fuck them you'll have other sponsors that are i'm sure lining up on your four billion dollar worth business lining up to fucking you know fucking buy ad space from you or whatever the fuck stop leaping on curses it doesn't make fucking sense it's it's how these fucking beast of fucking fighters communicate if they choose to and it's okay speaking as a ufc fan we don't give a fuck we appreciate the curses it kind of adds a, a level of of authenticity to it you know what i mean we don't want them to be there you know fumbling and 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 their words and shit because they're so con self-conscious about you know cursing and maybe getting penalized for it and stuff like that in a press conference when when you know and not being able to say and express themselves the way they want to you know like stop that don't don't you've obviously started doing that type of shit but don't just stop shit doesn't make sense man you you get guys fucking with their the lips looking like they have a cleft lip and an eyeball hanging out of their fucking heads but they can't say the word shit you know what i mean like come on man <sighs> anyway that's the episode folks that's all i got for you this week like i said it's a short week and um uh one uh, quick thing that i do want to mention is that i will be doing something called video podcast extras they'll be probably far and few between um, but I notice sometimes that, like when I do an episode on a you know a certain topic or or whatever, like there's certain things I think of after the fact, and I forget to mention. So I might be putting out just randomly, you know, not on a specific day like this podcast, which comes out every two weeks, every other Thursday at 9:37 a.m. Um, it's not going to be like that. It's just going to be if there happens to be something that I think of that I feel that I should have mentioned in an episode, I'll record a quick video. Uh, version of the podcast which you guys can check out on youtube or you know wherever you download these podcasts and um look out for those there's one now that i did as an extra to episode 54 um and you guys can check that out if you want to and they'll be short you know a couple minutes long it's not like these um yeah that's pretty much it guys if you want to support in any way shape or form uh, please do so by going to my website. Everything and every and anything is located on my website. Whether it's to follow me on social media, uh, on Twitter, Instagram, uh, which is at Spun Today, on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Spun Today, or you can uh, preferably and mostly 
It does make sense. <laughs> what I would like you to do most, if you want to support the podcast, is rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, um, Google Play, Pocket Casts, Overcast, where any of your favorite podcasters now also available on iHeartRadio, by the way, which is pretty cool because they have like, like 60 million subscribers, I think, or 50 million or something like that. So it's a huge platform. And it would be dope if you guys check out the episodes on there. Um, or, you know, if you guys want to listen to the episodes on my podcast, you can do so. But to rate and review um, on my website, I mean, but to rate and review it, uh, please do so on any of those platforms. I would really appreciate it. Another way to support the podcast, which you can do so financially, that would not cost you a dime, would be to shop at stores that you guys already shop at, but through my podcast portal page. Uh, go to sponsor.com forward slash affiliate links. And if you click on the Amazon banner, it'll take you to Amazon. You do your shopping as normal. And uh, Amazon gives me a kickback just for sending you their way. Check out my first book if you guys want to. Uh, it's pretty much, I, I think the person, I think the title says it all. It's called uh, Make Way For You, Tips For Getting Out Of Your Own Way. And it's a collection of freely written thoughts that I pretty much wrote to myself. But then after some time, uh, after about like three years, I saw that there was like this through line of trying to kick myself in the ass and and, and motivate and, and, and like push myself. And um, it kind of worked because it got me to, you know, put together a book and figure out how to self-publish and self-edit and create a cover and the whole night uh, from front to back. Um, and it's available on Amazon, on Kindle, Kobo, any of your favorite ebook readers, iBooks, uh, the whole nine. Uh, and if you guys want a print copy, you can order one from Amazon as well. And uh, for all the information on that, go to sponsor.com forward slash books. I could, I'll even send you a free copy if you want one. All I ask is that you rate and review it on Amazon and or Goodreads. Check it out. And there's a few reviews on there already. If you guys want to read them, I think they're informative. Let you know what other people who aren't biased <laughs> think about the book. I personally think it's the best thing ever in. Just kidding. Um, what else? Uh, sign up for the Midday Monday Boost Letter. It's a once weekly uh, newsletter that I send out that has five things on it. Uh, picture of the week, a video of the week, a podcast of the week, a quote of the week, and a word of the week. So if you're interested in any of those type of things and want to receive that very short email from me on a weekly basis, check it out. You can subscribe, whatever you want, uh, on there just by dropping in your email address and you'll get the very next one. And that's pretty much it, folks. That's the episode this week. I appreciate you guys taking the time to, to listen to this. I really do. And as always, substitute the mysticism with hard work and tar- start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening.